Hi there. I'm Anne-Marie McQueen, editor of livehealthy.ae, and this is the livehealthy.ae podcast. Each week, we will interview leaders in the UAE's health and wellness community, and we'll explore topics you read about in our online magazine, the only one of its kind for men and women. And now it's time to meet this week's guest. So today we have Natalia Toro. She is an unconscious mind coach from Colombia. And I am so, you live here in Abu Dhabi. I am so excited to talk to you about all this. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited to be here. What is an unconscious mind coach? An unconscious mind coach is a person that helps others to reprogram and teach them to coach their unconscious mind. Why, Why the unconscious mind? Because the unconscious mind rules 95% of all our conscious decisions, our emotions, our reactions, our habits, the way we move our our body, the tone of our voice. The unconscious mind rules life. So we humans tend to think that we make every decision, we take every step in life in a conscious manner. But it's actually the unconscious telling us what to do based on programmings that have been installed there since we were born, basically. So an unconscious mind coach, like me, is a person that's qualified in uh, several modalities. In my case, hypnosis, NLP, mindfulness. I do mindscaping as well, which is another modality. Um, So what I do is helping people with um, several of those modalities in the frame of coaching. But this is not accountability coaching this is not like conscious coaching like you can do it let's do it no it's more um reprogramming the mind and those default settings that we have so your mind works actually in in, in pro of your goals and not against you this is interesting because right the, the traditional life coach is like you can do it and it's sort of your own laziness and uh, lack of motivation and teaching you to do that. But that almost is starting to seem a little bit um, old-fashioned. It works for a lot of people. Uh, I think that there is great life coaches. Um, The thing here is, and the difference, I would say, I wouldn't say that one is better than the other, um, but but, uh, I will point here that um, a life coach, for example, that works um, on the conscious setting, yeah, on the uptime attention of the person, um, needs to be there for longer. First of all, because the person would, would need someone, someone who keep him uh, accountable for longer. In the case of unconscious mind coaching, for example, if a person is procrastinating, if a person considers uh, himself or herself lazy, if that person is having problems with executing things at work or in life. We go, what I do is going underneath that behavior because the behavior is just a symptom. The behavior is not, it is telling me somehow what's happening, but it's not the problem. The symptom is not the problem in unconscious mind coaching. Yeah. Uh, For example, procrastination. Most of the time when a person procrastinates, it's not laziness. It's just a stress brain and a stress mind. When a person is overwhelmed, it's just a brain that is just too full too full of things 
at the conscious level that they don't need to be there or of um, unuseful things or of uh, massive goals that uh, are scaring that person because the person doesn't um, hasn't developed the skill of chunking down goals, for example. So we will go uh, to the underlying emotion, which was stored in the past most of the times. It is because um, your body remembers emotions when you were in in events of of heightened emotions, whether they were positive or negative. Right, so you might not remember the event, but your body remembers the emotion. And the thing is that when we are um, all the time, we are perceiving a lot of bits of information. Some of them consciously, some of them, which is the majority, unconsciously. So in the future, every time your unconscious mind picks a bit of information that is similar to the ones that were present in that event, in that past event you will get the same reaction and it will repeat all over and over again because the job of our mind is to make us survive, to protect us. That's the way things keep us alive. Okay, so what's an example of this in real life happening? Okay, an example, a simple example. For example, um, you you had a bar experience. Maybe you were two years old and you were... You were barked by a dog, very loud. For example, babies are are scared of loud noises. You were barked by by a by a dog. It's almost impossible that consciously you remember that event because you were two years old. But if the dog was um, the fur was white, the dog was big, the nose was pink, all those things that you are not able to remember, even the event itself, you will probably have problems with any kind of pet or with any kind of animal that has white fur, pink nose or loud noises that are similar or in similar, let's say, sound wave to that bark. And then you will have a reaction of fear. And fear is expressed in so many forms. It could be expressed in form of anxiety, in form of anger, in form of um, no wanting to be somewhere and fleeing from a meeting from anywhere. Yeah, for example, um, I saw someone, I met someone who uh, was having... Uh, really severe anxiety problems on and off all his life yeah mm -hmm. the last time he came to see me and he said i haven't felt this for years and it was it happened just <clears throat> the day i was calling my office or in the hr office and i was quite redundant um and we went we did some regression to some of the events where he felt the same and we realized that he noticed a color, a color of the tie of a person like 15 years before. And then when we go to the recent event, when the, when the, the redundancy happened and when the person started feeling the anxiety, the lack of sleep and all these symptoms again, the person who let him go in the company was wearing a shirt of similar color. And it was the apparent trigger. To resolve problems with unconscious mind coaching through hypnosis to NLP. That's neuro-linguistic programming. Neuro-linguistic programming. It doesn't mean that we always need to know the cause. It doesn't mean that we always find the trigger from the past. You can solve um, a lot of things, lots of issues, prof make profound changes in people uh, without even having to go back to trying to find the, the initial, it's called the initial sensitizing event. So the moment or the chain of moments when your mind learned that behavior. Because every symptom, anxiety, fear, 
um, self-doubt, lack of self-confidence, procrastination, indecisiveness, all are behavioral problems. You don't get anxiety. You don't have anxiety. You make anxiety. doesn't mean that something you are making at a conscious level. It's happening at an unconscious level. So what we do and why it's so effective is because you kill the root. And if you kill the root cause, the symptom has no way from to feed. So it will not happen. It's impossible. Is it um, during the corona, this whole corona lockdown, I was talking to some friends on high school friends on Zoom and a couple of them were teachers and they had to go completely online and they were saying they're having such a hard time. They're angry at their friends at work who are like, suggesting things, extra things to do online, angry, upset. Like she said, she felt like a little kid. And I said, hold on. I know this feeling because I've done a lot of new things in the last two years and I've realized there's a pattern. Whenever I do a new thing, there's this whole chain of emotions that come up. Yes. Fear, I'm mad, I get really mad. Mm -hmm. um, and it's like every time I learn a new skill. So it's, it's is it this? It is. How is that working? Like um, People are having those emotions when they've been forced into doing all this stuff. First of all, I want to say that the current situation, the current climate is stressful by itself. Like humans, we are not good with uncertainty. We prefer to know that something is bad is going to happen than having this 50-50 that things can go really wrong or things can get better, but we don't know when. Like uncertainty is just the most stressful thing for the human mind. However, the feelings that this situation has triggered in some people are not because of the situation itself. Part of it, it is, but part of it is about what the situation means to your mind, like what it looks like. So I had a client recently, this person is a high achiever, uh, this person is very busy all the time, um, and this person didn't experience uh, anxiety and panic attacks since 20 years or something like that, and um, they told me, I'm feeling now, like I, I went for a walk, we are with my family, quarantined here in our summer house, we decided to do it here in our summer house, she's abroad. Uh, and I, I, I do know why I'm again having the panic attacks. I'm having to go out to walk, breathe deeply because uh, I, I can bear being taken away from my routine, from my lifestyle, from my. And then um, over the sessions, we realize that it's a repeating pattern. Every time she needs to be still, to get still, and the quarantine was like. Uh, it's forcing us to be still, to be in one place at our home, not being able to mobilize normally, not being able to work the amount of time we want to work, or we just have massive changes in the way we are in the way we are working. So this is a person who's a survivor of physical abuse at school by seniors. So she remember, and she had clear memories during one of the sessions of her being uh, having to be still in a corner being fearful because she was getting beaten or touched or whatever is the kind of abuse or even if it's verbal so it is a situation that is stressful yes it is normal to feel nervous it is normal to feel this sense of uncertainty it is normal to get worried the problem is when there is patterns coming back from the past because the situation is triggering them and then you fear the procrastination your lack of self-confidence, your anxiety takes over your life to the point that you paralyze.
And so it doesn't even, like, is it possible it doesn't even have to be traumatic? It's just doing something new uh, can trigger... That's a very good question. Uh, people think, and until not very long, we all thought that trauma needed to be something like living in a place where war is active, seeing someone dying by, by um, through violence, like in a violent event, uh, being physically or sexually abused, or trauma could be you killing someone accidentally. The concept of trauma has been um, made wider lately because trauma is everything that lights our nervous system to the edge. So there is no small event in your childhood for you to have trauma. There is no small event in your adulthood for you to have trauma. Trauma could be something like you are going to the doctor because you got some tests because you are feeling well and you are in a heightened state of uh, stress, you're fearful of what the doctor is going to say, you're expecting, and you have a little bit of fear because you don't want to find out bad news. And then you get this bad diagnosis. And then you're, you feel a flush of, of hormones and stuff in your body. You feel fear. fear. Fear feels physical. That's trauma. That's a traumatic event. It sounds small, but there is no small trauma. There is no big trauma. There is trauma. Because trauma is not about what happens. It's not about the outside event. Trauma is about how we internalize those events, which meaning our mind is given to that event at that given point that gave me such a high emotion that it gets stored in my mind until I reprogram it. Yeah. So you use all these different modalities. One of them is hypnosis. And I think people still think hypnosis is... Yeah, you know, pretty woo-woo yeah. and a little bit crazy. So can you just talk to me, like, how does it work? Yeah. How does it happen? Yeah, there is a lot of misconception because there is great hypnotists that they also help people in a therapeutic frame, like me, but they also do entertainment hypnosis, which is true as well. But then Hollywood and all the, all the movies gave, gave a lot of people the wrong conception of hypnosis. People think that they are not conscious and they are not in control of what they do when they are under hypnosis. And it's totally the opposite. What hypnosis does is to, um, let's say, make that filter between the conscious and unconscious mind blurry, fuzzy. Yeah, so we can accept information without rationally and analytically um, yeah, thinking of it, without analyzing it. Yeah, so it's rejecting well, we, it without rejecting yeah, it. exactly. Rejecting it, analyzing it, trying to find a why. Yeah, so what hypnosis does is, and probably I will start talking from the moment that we sleep to be able to explain what happens at a more scientific level because hypnosis is very scientific. The father of hypnosis, Milton Erickson, fought all his life to take the concept of hypnosis away from the juju and woo woo and magic. Um, concept that is away from science. Hypnosis is very scientific. Um, so when we sleep, we go several times during the night into the rapid eye movement, yeah, the REM times. During the REM, our mind processes emotions and information. So that was, that's why when you have a bad night of sleep or you don't sleep at all, you are very irritable, you are unable to concentrate, no way learning something new that day because there is no space. Your mind didn't have the time to process, right? 
So what happens is I'm doing the REM is when we dream, yeah? And dreaming comes from imagination, comes from all those picking up bits of information. So what we do during hypnosis is we simulate that REM state, but you being awakened, you being awake. So when I simulate that through language patterns, through um, through making you have your hand elevate, elevated for a long time, wishes, uh, catalepsis, through uh, choking you with a little touch, with a little um, handshake. There is lots of inductions where we just put the brain waves into that level, similar to REM, so you are not analytically thinking, you are not analyzing, rationalizing information. And then we pass into the phase of giving you suggestions. What are suggestions? Suggestions are, are just um, information through language uh, that gives comments to your mind. So I, I will just tell you what you want to do, what you want to be, how you want to feel in certain manner that cannot be rejected by the conscious mind, cannot be analyzed or it will not rise any why and I want to understand and this um, need of control that we all have when we are like in awakened, like in awakened state. So hypnosis is, let's say, a heightened attention state, yeah, where you, where your conscious mind, your critical faculty, which is that filter, just go fuzzy, just goes blurry. So you accept information without analyzing it. It opens the door and makes it stay. It, op it opens the door. Do you have to keep doing it? Like, do you have to, do you know what I mean? Like, do you have to, have to keep having hypnosis? No, not for the same thing. Not for the same thing. But yes, uh, hypnosis and unconscious mind coaching, 50% of the success of the process lies in the client. Hypnosis and neurolinguistic programming, mindfulness, meditation, any psychological modality needs the full commitment of a person. If a person comes to me and they tell me, I truly believe I can't change, but my husband asked me to come because if I don't do some sort of therapy, we will get divorced. I won't see that person because it's not that person coming to me because they want to change something, because they think they want to change something or they can't. Is because someone sent them. So it needs to be the person who believes that they can make the change. And if they don't, I make them believe that they can <laughs> make the change. Uh, and they need to be fully committed because there is a lot beyond hypnosis. Yes, when we do the hypnosis session, we plant the seed of that tree we want to grow inside us, right? Full of skills and full of good feelings and all the things we want. Yeah. So when we do that, we are um, we are um, stimulating something in the brain called the reticular activating system, which is making the new information, the new beliefs, the new skills relevant to your mind. So your mind automatically, when you are living your daily life, starts looking for bits of information and only lets in bits of information that match, that are relevant to that belief, to that new skill, to that new pattern of thought, right? But um, not bad, but and you need on you need to keep on doing things like listening to your audios. In the case of, of NLP programming, 
you need to, it's a programming, it's a retraining of your mind. So you need to keep on doing certain practices. So what is NLP? NLP is neurolinguistic programming. It's, it's, it's a way of programming your mind through language, but also through um, certain um, tapping? exercises. Tapping, um, tapping is not into NLP itself. But, for example, exercises with the imaginations are NLP, yeah? What's an NLP exercise? An NLP exercise. So, for example, um, think of something that is still in your mind that you wish you want to forget because it gives you, it brings you bad feelings, yeah? Okay, so say, like, I'm sure there's people listening who, like, broke up with someone or got a divorce and they want to stop. Exactly, you know, like, exactly. So what, what do you do? <laughs> so what I will do is close your eyes, take a deep breath, yeah? I want you to bring that event, okay? and I want you to see the colors, I want you to see the people, and as you see the people, find the expressions in their face, and as you see the expressions in, in their faces, hear the noises you heard, see the colors you saw, feel the feeling you felt, and make that image vivid, colorful, as vivid as you could, as if it happened yesterday. And when you have that image vivid inside of you, whether it's a movie, whether it's a photo, yeah, and you see yourself inside there, frame it with your hands. All this is with the with the eyes closed. Frame it with your hands, right? And then, as soon as you frame it with your hand, I'm gonna ask you to start shrinking that picture or that movie. Shrinking, 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 shrinking. Make it smaller, make it smaller, 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 until it becomes the size of a stamp an old stamp so when it's the size of a stamp and it's still vivid but you can see it really really small make it black and white let all the color fade make it black and white black and white black and white when it's totally black and white and it looks very very old just throw it behind you and say <clears throat> let go or any empowering word that resonates with the person that makes them feel free or i'm free or i'm what this exercise does, it is proven that when we human, we humans see things in different sizes, in different colors, our emotions towards that thing, towards that movie, towards that um, announcement, advertising change. This is what adverts use. The, the theory of colors, the size of their adverts, the... Um, the division of the space or the or the management of the space inside an advert because all those bits of information drive emotions into that so by me asking you to make that uh, unpleasant and comfort seen vivid and bring the feeling back and then changing the structure of that same image that represents your feelings those bad feelings that you want to get rid of and then making it black and white and very old and making it throw back to a place where you cannot get it back, and it's like the the water of the shower you to you you spend to to shower yourself this morning. If you wanted to go to to the drain and collect that water, you couldn't. So throw it that way that you can. Even if you look back, you want to take it back, you can't. Try to take it back, you can't. There is a lot of language pattern in here. When I tell a client after they they throw the coin or the the, the image, they stamp with that unpleasant memory. I tell them, try to go back and take it back. Try to go back and take it back. Try harder. Try implies failure. 
in language. Our mind processes try as failure. So when I'm saying to the client, try to take it back and find that you can, try to take it back. I want that person to feel, to fail at bringing it back. You know when, when you ask someone for a favor and that person tells you, I will try, you know that that's not going to happen. When you are saying, I'm trying to stick to this diet, well, that sounds like you are failing at doing the diet. And try is, for example, a word that everyone should eliminate from their vocabulary, except when you are trying a beautiful dress in a shop. (laughs) Right. Except when you're spending money, you need to try. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And what about mind mapping? Mind mapping? Well, there is, I do something that is called mindscaping. Oh, mindscaping, I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah mindscaping. But it's mind mapping. Okay. So in our unconscious mind, there is maps, right? And in our brain, there are neural, uh, neuron connections, right? Like neurons connections that um, they are drawn like a map, right? And those connections are those repetitive behaviors, those uh, knowledge skills that we have that they have become unconscious and we do automatically like riding a bike driving the car right and also those repetitive negative emotions that have also become unconscious they are unconscious so you keep on repeating them you keep on reacting the same way to certain things so mindscaping is just a metaphorical representation of those maps and we have several of those maps inside our brains yeah in form of metaphors if you go to your imagination there is a map to resolve every issue so during mindscaping, um, it's it's a long session, but basically what we do is we allow the unconscious mind of that person to resolve the issue through their own metaphors. So mindscaping is taking that person to a place, to a city, to where they have never been before, and take them through what they see in front of them, what they see behind them, on the sides, if they elevate and they look at the horizon, what they see there, if there is a clear road, if it's not, making them clear it, making that road more pleasant to go through towards the horizon. And if they see certain elements means certain things, which I I wouldn't explain in, in, in a space like this one to see. I don't even explain it to clients because you don't need they don't need to understand what happened and what the things they saw during that exercise mean because it's their own representation in a metaphor and if i explain them what it means when i ask them to look to the left when i ask them to look to behind and tell me what they see immediately behind them if i tell them what this that means explaining it um kinds of bring the power of the exercise down because i will be putting critical thinking into it so mindscaping is basically a form, a modality of hypnosis that allows people to solve their problems through their own metaphors. Wow. To use all these things together. And it's sounding to me like you, you can teach people to move through the world and maybe increasing that 5% of conscious thinking. Yes, basically, yeah. Basically, coaching your unconscious mind is using your conscious actions to retrain or to reprogram those unconscious beliefs, those unconscious patterns that don't serve you anymore. You can say, oh, like when you have that negative thought, you can say, oh, that is not, that just came out of my brain, but it's not real. It comes from nowhere. Exactly. Now I have to listen to it. Yes. Learning to not buy into all the thoughts that your mind offers, because remember, your mind is all the time 
like looking for things to save you from, like looking for for this protection, right? So learning, of course, learning more to listen to all the thoughts that your mind offer, because many of them are just thoughts from the past. So your mind will try to, even when you say, I want to start a side business, or I want to write a book, or I want to learn how to knit, or something that's beyond what you're doing, your mind will try and stop you from doing that. Yes, we'll try to stop you from doing that. From expanding. Yes. But that's normal. It is normal. However, if it becomes paralyzing and you <clears throat> and you think of yourself when you are 80, 90 years old, that you will be in your deathbed, thinking that you will regret you didn't try things or you didn't do what you wanted to do in life, then there is a problem because that's why depression happens. That's why anxiety happens, right? So what I teach people beyond our sessions is to use techniques to do things during the routine that takes them two or three minutes to interrupt those patterns, those patterns of thoughts, those patterns of behavior. Because think of this, if you are writing, you are in your writing work, right? You get in the zone. At a certain time and after a certain number of minutes, if someone comes every five minutes to interrupt you, it's very difficult for you to go back to the flow of what you were writing, right? It's, it, it could be terrible if you get interrupted. So what happens is you can do the same to kill uh, all behaviors and patterns that don't serve you. The more and the stronger you break the pattern, the more difficult your mind will have it to go back to that pattern. So, for example, or another other technique is bringing behaviors and habits that you are doing to the conscious awareness. Because consciously, it would be very difficult to remember to do certain things that you do repetitively uh, as an instinct if you needed to remember to do it several times a day. For example, with smokers. Many people have smoking is a big is a big issue in their career development because they waste a lot of time going out to smoke because smoking gives them more anxiety because they they cannot stop smoking but they don't want to walk in that meeting smelling of cigarettes so they decide they want to quit with many people what works the best is bringing the smoking to the conscious to the conscious level it's impossible for you to remember 20 times a day to smoke consciously Mm -hmm. no way Mm-hmm. No way, unless you put 20 alarms in your phone, right. you will remember to smoke 20 times. Right. So if we bring it through hypnosis and NLP to the conscious awareness, the person will simply forget to smoke. What we want the person is to forget, not to fight. When people quit, for example, smoking, over snacking, nail biting, technology addiction, any any habit, behavior addiction, they want to, to quit consciously by fighting the desires from doing that thing which are physical and unconscious it doesn't work it's not sustainable because it creates stress because it's not your conscious mind which is remembering to do the thing it's your body that's telling you it's triggering the habit right right so what you want is to the person to be able to forget the person to be able to refrain that habit from giving it, giving him or giving her protection, pleasure, which are the only two things why you have bad habits. They either protect you from feeling something, or you think they protect you from feeling something, or they give you pleasure, which at the end is the same. Yeah. So how we reframe 
that protection or pleasure uh, meaning into is unpleasant. I can't remember. Uh, it's difficult to remember. Is yeah, yeah. So there is a lot of techniques. The techniques don't depend on me. The, the, the techniques that I use, they actually are determined when you see the client and you. I need to see you, uh, even through a camera. Only see. Uh, I do uh, actually only do consultation online, and it's enough to have a camera so I can see the way you move your face. And the way you raise your eyebrows, the way you speak, the tone of your voice when when you stress certain words, the way you explain me certain things, I can tell if you are auditory, if you are more kinesthetic person, or if you are more a visual person. Yeah, this is a, these are like the mechanisms through which we learn, we apprehend the world. Some of us see the world through images more than than noises. Some people see the world more through noises and images and some people see the world just through feeling. How I feel this? How do I feel when I do this? How does it feel that, right? So based on that and depending on the, the model or, or, or the, yeah, the system of learning of every person, I decide which kind of modalities I use. Okay, well, listen, thank you. Thank you so much for being on the podcast. Thank you for having me. Mm-hmm. It was such a good conversation. Well, I talked all the time. Oh, well, that's the whole Sorry. point of an interview. I'm not supposed to talk. No, that was, that was great. I feel rare. I'm going to take on the day. Uh, Natalia Toro, thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having, uh, having me, and it was uh, an absolute pleasure. Thank you. That's it for this week. If you liked the podcast, make sure to subscribe, rate, and review. We'll see you next time on the livehealthy.ae podcast.